Now, getting back to this idea of the roles they played, when they manifested to this woman, first it was with men that were not wearing protection. You didn't make them wear protection. Remember what I said? Increasing the probability of insemination. Mm -hmm. So again, this whole aspect of, okay, I'll play the game with you. And there are roles to be played. But at the end of the day, it's not Jeremy. It's not Andrew. You know, it's not Ted Rice's grandfather. It was not the husbands. In Genesis 6, they were not the husbands in the Apocryphon of John. But there was something that wanted to use the mortal portal as a means of self-replicating their species. And I think that's where we are. back i'm here with nathaniel gillis who is an expert on demonology welcome my friend thank you for having me as i told you before it's always great to meet new hosts be on new shows and, and greet new audiences thank you for having me i'm excited to be on yeah i'm i'm excited to talk to you so as we were talking about before we started recording this is a topic that i haven't broached on this show at all and you're going to be the first and the reason that i want to cover it is there are a variety of different explanations for what everybody is calling the phenomena right from right. cryptid sightings to ghosts to ufos even you throw on remote viewing precognition things like that and i have covered a lot of explanations for kind of the ufo phenomena and this phenomena may overlap it may not overlap what have you but you i think have a novel or pretty novel theory on a lot of these strange things that encompass the non-physical and also reach in and touch on the physical realm that i think it's important to explore kind of in, in uncovering every rock and going through every you know possible explanation so yeah i think this is an important topic that we need to understand so with that how on earth did you <laughs> decide to study something so dark oh man it was not my intention i never woke up one day and decided hey you know what let's study the most malevolent beings in history it wasn't that wasn't my intention but what was instrumental in the development of my research was my encounter with this phenomenon. When I was eight years old, my parents had moved to do a new house and that, that house had a malevolent entity within it. I can remember just touring the home before we moved in and I witnessed a full bodied apparition hiding underneath the bed. It was a very interesting because mm -hmm. I was a young kid playing my little Game Boy and I look and there is this look just like a little girl. She had long black hair, wearing a uh, white linen dress, very antiquated. Once we moved to the house, that little girl didn't exist, like literally. She never lived in that house, did not live in the neighborhood, like I surmised she did, she did not. 
But upon moving into the house, uh, the entity mutated in its pathology and its manifestation. That's when I realized for the first time in my life, not only is something out there, that it can be physical and non-physical at will. It was, I mean, my God, at nighttime, I could hear voices talking above my head, shadow people, shadow figures moving in my room. I could hear it displacing its weight on the wooden floors. Uh, so that was my very first encounter, if not confrontation, with whatever we're going to be discussing today. But that was instrumental in my pursuit of this research. And so I didn't know what it was I encountered. And so I just decided to plunge headfirst into demonological literature in the Middle East and antiquity, Mesopotamian texts, and all the way up onto modernity. And it was very interesting. Number one, I knew I wasn't crazy. And hopefully I thought, man, maybe there's somebody else out there that, it, that has been through what I'm going through. So that, that's what got me into this. Quick question for you. Uh, and I doubt you've ever been asked this question. So <laughs> the apparition that you saw, have you ever subsequently checked your house since then to see if someone of that description subsequently lived in that house or is living in that house? Maybe somebody has yeah. asked you that question. But, but, well, they have it, but I, I, I have done that. So it's a good question. Yes, I have. I've even I went back to that neighborhood because I, I, I was very close to the neighbors in that area. Like I grew up with them, their kids and everything. And so I, I talked to some of the neighbors and they said that after we moved out, whoever purchased the house rented out to other people. And that for whatever reason, which we know, we've heard this story in hauntology throughout the years, they've moved in tenants and then within three or four months, they move out repeatedly over and over again, like a loop. So, uh, yeah, I don't know what it was. I have my theories regarding what I encountered, but yes, yeah, so that's why I'm here. And it's very instrumental in, in my research. So let's actually go into that particular instance. What do you think it was? I don't know. I really don't know. I know it's pathologies that would project fear upon me. I mean, again, people are going to be watching, listening to this. You have to picture an eight-year-old boy who mm. has no frame of reference for addiction, for methamphetamine, for alcohol, or, or even suicide. It was literally not in my world. But I can remember going into dream states at nighttime. I would slip into these nightmares and uh, the nightmare was a looping nightmare. It would end, but it would start right back up where it ended. And so in this nightmare, I would, uh, would always be in black and white, and I would be approaching a shelter area in a park where they would have family reunions and birthday parties. There were two men, young men, maybe 22 years old, sitting with their backs to me. They were sitting on a picnic table. And first of all, I didn't even know what sugar diabetes was mind you, and the man on the left had a needle in his arm. Wasn't even in my world. I, I, I didn't even think anything about it. Whatever, you know, didn't even know what that was. He, he paid no attention to me. The man on the left turned, made eye contact with me and gave me this crooked, evil grin. And then he pulled out a pistol, a 357 Magnum, a black one, put it in his mouth, and pulled the trigger. Then the it would end and then it would start right back up as I'm walking towards them with the big table. And uh, sometimes I would wake up from the dream paralyzed and terror. And I would just be laying in my bed and I could feel it was like this 
presence in the room. And it was like it was staring at me, but I could not see it. And that's when I realized that the phenomenon has the ability to be present with, but absent from at the same time. It's paradoxical. And so I, I then started to kind of hypothesize in my own mind, why am I afraid of this entity? Is it because it's different? Because it's alien to me in my world? Or is it because I shouldn't be afraid of it, but it wants me to be afraid? And so there was this mechanism of projecting terror into a little boy and then almost feeding off of it in a way. And so I had to, to create a coping mechanism. I would, you know, I would go to bed with it when I was in the shower. It would be there. Like it was constantly with me. But I, I realized that it mutated in its pathology. It wasn't just a shadow person. It wasn't just an apparition, right? It, it, so that's when I thought, okay, am I dealing with one entity that's wearing different masks? Or are these separate entities in and of themselves? Which, if we had to cover the entire field of research, that's really where all of us are at. And so I was asking these questions as an eight, nine, ten-year-old boy. And why do you think you were targeted? Is it just because of the location? I don't know. Sensitivity? I, well, suicide is what I found. Uh, and early on, and not just my experience, but my research about 15 years ago, I thought, you know, is it possible that it was somebody who had committed suicide? Or was it something that causes people to do that? Right? Because I've been in front of people where I just meet them and shake their hand and all of a sudden, okay, I sense this about you. You know, there's so suicide is very easy for me to pick up on people. So I don't know. It may be, I, I really don't know. I don't know why it chose me. I wish it didn't because there are times like even to this day, I'm 35 and I'll sleep with the light on and I'll play like Frasier in the background or something, you know, to literally disassociate my mind. Somebody else is here and it's not that, thank God. So it, to this day, it still plays a role. So it's still like present around you. No, it's, it's not here, but okay. there inside of me, there is still that little boy, right? Where it's like, mm -hmm. okay, there is PTSD here. Okay. What's crazy is even when people understand what happened to them, they still suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder. What about those of us who have no conscious idea of what was there with us? And so it's almost That's even like scarier, right? Absolutely. And so, yeah. yeah, there are times when it won't manifest, it won't, I won't feel it, but there is still that emotional response to what occurred to me in my youth. Worry, you know, I'm, okay, I got, I, I got to turn this on. Why? And I'm like, oh. <laughs> what part of the country did this happen? And what was your kind of religious upbringing? So this happened in Dayton, Ohio, about okay. literally stones throw away from a right pat Air Force Base. Interesting. Uh, yeah. And, yeah, yeah. For uh, fo folks who have been living under a rock, this is one of the <laughs> living alleged. Rock, yeah. Well, I mean, actually, what Wright Patterson Air Force Base has is they have a unit that exploits foreign technology, right? I forget exactly what the name of the unit is but what they do is they get like a soviet mig they'll try to reverse engineer it now throughout all the lore there is a belief that at some point or even today there's a something called the blue room where there's a lot of this 
technology that was purportedly recovered from the Roswell crash and possibly other crashes of non-human material. So anyway, that's why that's somewhat significant. And we're going to get into that because we, I definitely want to see where the intersection of the UFO phenomena and this phenomena are, and also if they're the same thing. Okay, so you grew up near Wright, Pat. That's important. That's huge. I have, I have family members that are working there and have worked there in the past. So, I mean, I grew up in Dayton. You know, I've been there as, as a kid a billion times, not even realizing that, hey, there might be something underneath my feet. <laughs> and there most likely is. So, it's exciting. But it was in Dayton, Ohio. And, well, like I said, a stone's throw away from Wright Pet Air Force Base. My religious tradition growing up is very unique. It was Pentecostal. And so very strict. Very and that's strict. like that like tongues and speaking in tongues and Yeah, we did not do the snake handling and all that. No, but I mean it was very strict. We we could not watch television. We could not I couldn't wear shorts. It was just very almost like a cult. So that was my tradition. And what was very difficult was trying to tell people from that church my story. They had a little school that I, I attended as a kid and what would happen to me, like I said, is I would try to stay up all night long. I would turn my lights on and the fear that was present in the room was paralyzing. And so for some reason, again, I had no frame of reference of vampirology or night terrors, anything, but in my little mind, I thought to myself, well, if, the, if I can stay up until the sun rises, this thing can't touch me. It can't do anything to me. And so I would stay up until the sun rose and I'd get about 45 minutes of sleep before I had to get up and go to school. But then when I went to school, I'm passing out. You know, I stayed up the whole night and finally I'm around people. I'm not afraid. I'm not terrorized. So I would fall asleep at school. My grades plunged, teacher, parent meeting, conferences, all that stuff. It, it took place often. It was a very trying time for me, but that was my tradition. They really had no room for this. Right. I mean, everything is, and this is so funny as a demonologist, everything's a demon, 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 demon. And there was no real discourse on what I was experiencing, why I was experiencing it. Well, that's just a demonic attack. Okay. Let's have that conversation. You can't just say that and throw it underneath the rug. So that, I guess it left blood in the water in a sense, because I'm like, well, I don't believe any of this. I think there's much more to this phenomenon than what's going on. And so that's when I decided in my own heart, you know, okay, yeah, they have some things going on, but I'm going to dive into the data, as much data as I can find, documentation of it, case studies, and see if there isn't the iceberg effect going on, where this is all we see, but it's not all that's present. Now, how did your parents react to them you're obviously not sleeping they obviously have to see that what did they do to try to help or man they were going through things themselves that i I had no idea of at that age they shared very little of it with me my dad was working first shift so he would get up at like 4 45 5 in the morning and what i was doing is I would literally pull my mattress off my bed, drag into their room. It's only 10 feet away, but for some reason, not being in my room and being in theirs made me feel more comfortable. 
So there were times when I'd wake him up, he would be frustrated. You know, I got to get up in an hour and a half, mm. you know, and I got a full day ahead of me. Like, just, you know, nothing's in your room, go back to bed. So there was a certain point when I realized that I had to encounter this. I had to confront it. I had to do this all by myself. Not that they weren't bad parents. They're amazing parents. I love them to death. You know, they're amazing. It was just that for whatever reason, maybe it was designed this way that I had to go through that. And obviously, we all try to rationalize our trauma. So I say I had to go through it so that I could be doing shows like this with people of your caliber who can bring this subject to audiences that are interested. Did you ever tell them explicitly what was happening to you or did you kind of keep it to yourself because the topic was so weird? Yeah, well, I, I realized that if they're not going to believe someone's in my room, they're not going to believe what's happening to me either. Like someone has to be in my room for it to happen. So it's like, okay, if you're not going to believe this, I'm not going to tell you this. I can't. You think I'm crazy. You, you already think I'm crazy about this. So there was this kind of bargaining chip I had with them where it's like, okay, mm. there is something. I don't know what it is. Call it something with a capital S. <laughs> I didn't know what it was. I didn't know if it was divine, semi-divine. I didn't know if it's demonic, alien. No idea. But I did try to communicate some of it with my parents. Or to my parents, rather, it's so funny that uh, the, the only time my dad actually acknowledged something was in the home was when we were moving out. Mm -hmm. And uh, we were loading up the truck, and he looked at me, he goes, you know, son, he goes, I never wanted to encourage what was going on with you. He said, but he said, there have been more than one occasion where I've been in the basement or walking up the stairs where I felt something was watching me, like something, like consciousness was present. And he couldn't see it, could not locate it, but it was there. So that's, thankfully, that, that, that really kind of helped me understand, okay, I'm not crazy, number one, which even furthered my interest. If I'm not crazy, then other people who are reporting this from them are, are not crazy. Then I got, okay, so maybe I need to reach out. Maybe I need to go to the library. And that's what got me into reading literature. And then last question on this particular incident. Did you have a sense that it was tied to you or attached to the house or something else entirely? It could have been both. I, it may have been attached to the house, but it became interested in me. So I, I really don't know. I can't tell you that answer. I could tell you that it felt like a little bit of both. I mean, there, there was a time where, again, these things can mutate. And we'll get into case studies where people have done investigations and they capture the attention of something they didn't even know existed in long, you know, later on in their life, you realize, oh my God, that was that entity. But with me, even after I moved out of the house, there were a couple of times where I was in my room, specifically one night, it was 2003, maybe where uh, it was at nighttime, it's raining. I could hear the rain hitting my window I had a bar stool and then I had a glass of water on top of it and then I had a radio to my left and at that time it was right around the time that my aunt died and I was very close to her I used to take care of her as a kid and she died of a heart attack and I was missing her like man you know I wish she was here we moved into a new house she would love this area man you know just really hurting and I was playing a station that usually has an incredible signal. You know, you could pick it up anywhere in Ohio. 
Well, it goes from perfect signal to white noise, just like this. And then from the white noise, I hear my Aunt Shelley talking. And it was weird because it was reminiscent of the voices I heard in that house in East Dayton. Because it was, it, I could hear them enough to know they're talking to each other. It was two men. But I could not hear them enough to understand what they were saying. It was just close enough for me to understand, okay, yeah, they're there. Far enough away for me not to know who they are, what they were talking about. Same phenomenon manifested in this particular case where I could, I could tell it seemed a lot like my Aunt Shelley's voice. But what she was saying, I could not understand. It was so muffled. So it was very, very strange. It was at that point, excuse me, at that point where my glass of water flung against the wall, shattered on the wall. And then it went back to the regular normal program. So uh, weird, weird stuff. And we're going to get into some of, okay, was that even my Aunt Shelley? Or was it the phenomenon again, beckoning? Me. I don't know. Okay. So going into kind of this phenomena, are there certain telltale signs? Like, is there a list of things that, regardless of how weird or strange some of these incidences are, is there like a checklist of items that are consistent or relatively consistent? Regarding which phenomenon, and demonology, possession, ufology, or the whole, <laughs> the whole thing? Uh, let's start with demonology. Well, we have to understand something too, and this is pervasive in the literature that our ancestors experienced something. And what I've done in in all cases is I've done my very best, if at possible, to place myself in their shoes, having no knowledge right uh, of anything that we're discussing today and let's say you're a woman and you're in bed at night and you're pregnant and you're just laying down and all of a sudden something a being descends down upon you and it's staring into your eyes and this woman is thinking okay this is just a dream it's, it's just a bad dream i'll wake up from this and then they wake up the next morning and their baby's gone and they have ligature marks on their hands and wrists how would they have perceived that phenomenon in the mind, right, of a Mesopotamian individual? In the Eastern Mediterranean literature, it's very easy to see that mm. these experiencers, in their tradition, these were their demons. Does it mean that they weren't demons? Does it mean that they were? What I'm simply suggesting is that they perceive these beings to be demonic. And so even with Lamash too, we have the missing fetus syndrome. She was the demon of missing babies or dead, like stillborn babies. And so when I got into that literature, I realized that it's highly possible, if not even probable, that uh, our ancestors perceived ufology and these beings as being demonic in antiquity. In mm -hmm. yesterday's demons or today's aliens, the only difference is we have compartmentalized all of the phenomena. And in 
this is what I tell people in my lecture, specifically about incubi spirits or spirits that appear to women as lovers, men, boyfriends, deceased husbands. It's all on the table. But our ancestors said that these beings were incubi and succubi. And so when you get into demonological literature, you have incubus, so the incubi spirits, manifesting to women as dream demons, inducing them, holo ufology, inducing them into dream states, forcing them to make decisions that were not solely based on reality. Mm -hmm. I will conceive this child. Well, whose is it? No idea then why did you make that decision? Well, I was given a certain information, I guess, certain sets of, of, of data where I made that decision. But was that data correct? And so uh, in Antiquity, even the Apocryphon of John, it's a, an Egyptian, it's a Coptic manuscript written and preserved mm -hmm. by Egyptian monks, talks about this phenomenon in great detail where women would be in bed at night or just, just hanging out by themselves. And an entity would manifest to them in the image of a lover or their husband. We see this often in ufology. They saw it in antiquity. And inducing them in the dream states, it would, they would stare into their eyes, just like David Jacobs refers to, but Hopkins. You know, we call it the, the missing fetus syndrome and the UFO abduction phenomenon. But what, mm -hmm. we're, what we're witnessing in real time in this particular case study, it's not either or. It's all of the above. And I can go on and on. So I don't want to ramble, but I'm, I'm starting to get really passionate about this stuff now. So I'm getting in the vein. No, keep going. <laughs> keep going. Keep going. So what we have here is an, an instance. You know, let, let's take a case in ufology. Dr. Carl Turner was working with a gentleman by the name of Ted Rice. Ted Rice was abducted along with his grandmother. And we see the scenario play out over and over again. This entity tries to mate with his grandmother. The grandmother says, I've never been intimate with any other man than my late husband, who has been dead now for years. Okay. That's one portion of the event. Next thing you know, from the shadows emerges her husband. What are you going to do now? You've given me a role to play. Now I'm stepping into the role. So what we've done in, throughout history is said, okay, that's an incubi spirit. We have case studies of that, thousands, thousands of them. But what we didn't realize was that the incubi spirit is also connected to the missing fetus syndrome. Mm. Right? Because just like in modernity and biblical antiquity and in the 16th century, the same phenomenon occurs. But the, the only, again, the only, the only difference is in, in, in our ability, our, our willingness to place a face on the phenomenon, we've limited it. This is this and not that. And what the data suggests is it's not either or, it's this and. It's not a dichotomy of manifestations, it's a duality. What we've done is taken snapshots of a single event and said, okay, well, that's an incubi spirit. This is the missing fetus syndrome. My suggestion today, and I'm going to prove it to you in a second, is that they're one and the same. But for some reason, the phenomenon has even manipulated the information, has leaned heavily on researchers to compartmentalize it because it, they, they do not want the victim of the incubus spirit to have a conversation with the experiencer 
and the abduction. If they have a conversation together, then we'll start to see as, as well as they. Oh, the same thing. Does it make sense? Yeah. Well, the other thing about intent, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do we understand what the intent of these entities might be? Yes, might be as a very, very yeah. I, 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 I mean, it's, it's difficult to. Be, I, I, yeah, I don't want to no, pin I you down because it. it's. No, I love it. Some people will pin me down, but you know, as long as we're talking about what it might be, it is. A, I, I think it's most definitely a self-replication of species. They self-replicate, and that's noticed in demonological literature. The children of the devil. It's the same phenomenon. Uh, a woman it seems will, parasitical and, too, right? Let's. We'll get to that too. Absolutely. Okay. I'm going to read a Baghdad text. I had just let, left up from a lecture I've done a while ago. It's called an exorcistic text from Baghdad. If she sees in a dream, a man's, this is old too, a man standing against her or lying with her or inflaming her heart with the passion of intercourse, if he prevents her from having intercourse with her husband in order to not be impregnated by him this is an, an exorcism now this is incredible because what he's actually implying is that this phenomenon can monitor fertility and even has an interest in if the woman is not being intimate with the husband why because it's wanting to be intimate with her and it's trying to increase the probability of it inseminating her and not the husband. This is the same sexual pathology we witness in UFO abduction. Monitoring the fertility. I've had cases where they monitor fertility from, from 13, 14, 15 years old. Same phenomenon, compartmentalized. Dr. Collar Turner had a case where they were doing the same thing with a 10-year-old. She had a case where these beings were manifesting to her, monitoring her fertility to the point that they were performing experiments and trying to self-replicate through her. They had to give her a hysterectomy. So let's get back to this. Compartmentalizing the phenomenon has been has done incredible damage to the field because we have researchers that only specialize in this and they get rid of all the other data that precedes their belief in the phenomenon. Right. And, and I'm of the belief that, okay, not even of the belief, it's a fact that the phenomenon has existed. It has just changed. It's mutated. Just like that entity I met in my house, it mutated. And in one of my lectures, I talk about how they evolve in order to evade. And we may very well be witnessing their evolution throughout history because they do not want us to know that it's one intelligence, according to my perspective, and it's been manipulating our species throughout millennia. When you say one intelligence, what do you mean? It's a proto-consciousness. It's a proto-intelligence. It's an entity that will stand there and look at you but have different masks. Is it Dear Aunt Edna? Or is it your guide? Uh, or not yours, but I'm talking, generally speaking, is, is it your angel? Is it your demon? 
right, is that you're changeling. The fact of the matter is that the phenomenon has manifested as all of those beings throughout history. And yet there remains bloody footprints in the snow where you can, it's credible, but you can see with your own eyes in this literature where once we start to see through the thinning veil, it changes a little bit of its mass, but it also reincorporates the self-replicating mechanism it always has. It's no longer incubi. Oh, we're alien. Are you still inseminating women and taking the babies? Well, yeah. There we go. So I would say imagine it as a serial killer who, who uses various aliases. But when you're a profiler and you get down and you look at the evidence, okay, he's doing the same thing, same victimology, same sexual pathology. Is it possible, like I'm suggesting, that the alias that the phenomenon is wearing has created our desire to compartmentalize it? That's what it wants. Now, this phenomena, what does it do with these missing fetuses? Well, if we get to the apocryphal of John, again, it's fascinating because it was dealing with apparitional beings, specifically where they would descend down upon women, stare into their eyes, and take seed that it took. This is incredible. Take seed that it harvested from a man. That's the succubus. See? Same phenomenon, same scenario. We've just, oh, that's this and that. And so early on in demonological literature, uh, demonologists, okay, they're like, okay, are these separate entities in and of themselves? You know, a, a succubus is a, a strip that appears to men as a woman, takes a seed, and then goes as a man and inseminates it, inseminates a woman with it. Are those two separate beings in and of themselves, or are they one being that's wearing masks? That's of the persuasion I am. I believe that 100%. Now, I'll go even deeper. The evidence suggests that they're not entities in and of themselves, but in fact, programs. Right? And because we are in our ignorance, and in the human condition, we tried to place a face on the phenomenon, give it agency. That's not a program. That's an entity. When, in fact, the evidence does suggest that the reason they're doing this over and over again, and they're doing it the same way every time, is because it's almost like a policy at Walmart. Mm -hmm. The deception will always work. I had one case in India where the woman said, that the entity, not plural, the entity, had manifested to her as all seven of her former lovers. Now, if this is a new phenomenon, then why am I finding cases of this thousands and thousands of years ago? Now, this gets back in the control mechanism. If the phenomenon can convince us that it is new, then that means that there is a new origin. Mm-hmm. But if we realize that that too is a lie, then now we can say, hmm, now we have case studies we can pull into the mix and start to get a better idea of what it's doing. So getting back to this case in India, it was working this individual almost like a safe, spinning the dial. 
Will you consent now? What do you mean? What do you mean by that? Oh, well, I'm Andrew. We met at the club. No, you're not. Okay. Leaves. Comes back. Hey, I'm Jeremy. Remember me? Spinning, right? Now, here's the problem, though. And I say consent very loosely because it really isn't consent. They're presenting their victims with information that is not correct. And when that happens, the individual bases their decision on falsified information. Now, getting back to this idea of the roles they play, when they manifested to this woman, first it was with men that were not wearing protection. You didn't make them wear protection. Remember what I said? Increasing the probability of insemination. Mm -hmm. So again, this whole aspect of, okay, I'll play the game with you. And there are roles to be played. But at the end of the day, it's not Jeremy. It's not Andrew. You know, it's not Ted Rice's grandfather. It was not the husbands. In Genesis 6, they were not the husbands in the Apocryphon of John. But there was something that wanted to use the mortal portal as a means of self-replicating their species. And I think that's where we are. And is there species, is there a physical component to it, or is it non-physical, but they need this mechanism in order to anchor something? I think it's both. It's both. Here's why. Because in the Apocrypha of John, it says they manifested first as apparitions. And that during the insemination of the woman, we see this often in ufology and abduction from it, they stared into her eyes. And, and this is very unique in their pathology. David Jacobs suggests, and I agree with him, that they're hacking the optic nerve. But I will go deeper. Directly behind the eyes is the part of our brain that tells us whether or not what we're experiencing is in fact real. It's like when you go to a movie, virtual reality scenario, and you're looking. Okay, yeah, I'm shaking when, when the sound's on. and Oh, my God, it's a gunshot. Yeah, yeah. But that part of your brain that says, okay, Nathaniel, it's not real. Oh, okay. Thank God. That's what they're hacking. That's why in the 16th century, that's why in modernity, that's why in antiquity, these women, it's just a dream. I could do whatever I want in a dream and nothing happens. These aren't even real entities. And then when they wake up and go to work, they're inseminated, they're pregnant. And they have ligature marks on their wrists and ankles, rather. So whatever we're dealing with is hacking our ability to believe. And it knows why we're willing to believe in reality. What are we using to perceive this world? And in many cases, we're being blinded by our own vision. I see it's my husband. It has to be. Have you ever tracked some of these children who were born from? Mm -mm. They're taken. Mm -hmm. They're taken. I know of one case of Dr. Carla Turner's book, Taken. Well, Taken. Yeah, it's kind of funny. Where, again, it's not, people always misunderstand this, even people in, in the field. I'm not referring to children that are born from the union of the husband and wife or a heterosexual relationship. It's not what I'm talking about. 
I'm specifically talking about when these entities will take the women and then you know procreate with them. But 99% of the time, they're missing, they're gone. Now, early on in their pathology, this gets into Eros and Eva, which are literature, when these witches or whatever we want to call them, whatever they call themselves, they would encounter these beings. These beings would inseminate them with babies and fetuses, and they would give birth to them. And then they would hide them, or they would literally give birth to them, and that's if they did. And then all of a sudden they'd be missing. <laughs> the, you know, the child, oh my God, it's, it's a newborn. Okay, it's crying. Okay, where's it at? I have no idea. It's gone. And, and this is over and over and over again, which our literature. So the phenomenon knows which child belongs to it. Even to the point where there's the missing twin syndrome, where one twin, this is fascinating too, one twin belongs to another father. It's weird. The phenomenon knows which egg it uh, fertilized, and it'll come for the twin that belongs to it. It's gone. Very concerning for us as species. And I don't want to ramble. I don't know where you want to go with this. But it, 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 again, whatever we're dealing with has a pervasive knowledge of our, our intelligence, our consciousness. I think your question was, is it either or? I think it's both. Like I said, in, in the Pocket of John, it manifested as an image. Now, the purpose they said in that passage, in that text, was that they were trying to create a social skin to inhabit, a biological avatar. And so their idea was that it was an apparition, but it wanted a fetus that bore the material image of the apparition. And so I believe this is why we, we see them. It's not okay. Do they have a body or are they, do they, they're both? And so the theory that I'm working on, I could be wrong, I'm not saying mm -hmm. I'm right, is that very much so, that they can operate as an apparition, and they can also have bodies that look just like their apparition. And we've seen this. Betty Lucas' case study, she was abducted by the Watchers, and she asked them, where are these greys coming from? And the entity looked at her and said, in no uncertain terms, these are the fetuses that we've taken now it's we're gonna like get why it. they look like children right they have like childlike very interesting yeah, yeah almost a humunculus but um yeah so they're very we're gonna get more 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 stuff than that but that that's where i'm at at this point i think that they're not either or they're both and it's not a it's not a dichotomy it's a duality and i think that they obviously their consciousness does fly crafts you know, we, we've seen that over and over again, but we've also seen bodies. You know, they can walk through a wall, and then the next time you see them, flesh and blood. So it's very unique. What about these actual physical craft that mm -hmm. governments allegedly have recovered? I think that there are two different things occurring at the same time. And we see this often. They overlap in the phenomenon. There are real near-death experiences. And then the phenomenon will simulate near-death experience. Yeah, that was actually going to be a later question. But okay, we'll get to that. Continue and we'll get to that. Yeah. Okay. So years ago, my brother was a part of a research group where they were 
placing thousands and thousands. It was a crowdfunded thing, but uh, they were placing thousands and thousands of cameras in a certain part of the country on trees, putting up posts, tons of them. And they captured what they thought was a plane, showed up plane flying. And they thought, okay, from our observation, it's just a Cessna. And then they zoomed in and they started to look at it underneath basically the microscope and they slowed it down and they realized that this was not a plane at all. This was something that was desperately wanting to look like a plane. They actually witnessed it in real time, flying, 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 and then take something. They watched, contorted itself like a plane. And it's flying. And then they freaked out because they're looking at what seems to be not just an intelligent thing, entity. We lack the vocabulary. I do at least. They realized that this seemed more like a biological entity, a living organism that was mimicking what we thought would think is a plane. That is a UFO. We've seen this uh, in many UFO cases when the ship itself will manifest, but it will manifest according to a role we've given. Just like Kenneth Arnold. Think about this. Kenneth Arnold is flying, mm -hmm. and he sees flying saucers. No, he didn't. He described them as flying saucers because of the way they skipped. But wouldn't you know that next time the phenomenon manifested and was documented, ta-da, the flying, flying saucers. saucers. Which, again, and this really disturbs me, and it gives me chills, I'll just be honest with you, because it is evolving according to our awareness. Now, it's showing up as orbs much more frequently, right, as an example. Orbs, right, right. And yes, and, and this is so funny, too. Uh, I was on with Paul Sinclair from uh, the UK not so long ago, and I was talking to a, uh, really cool, it was a panel. I was on with Paul and a couple other MUFON people. But one of the MUFON state directors said that he had a case. I think it was him. Actually, no, it was Paul Sinclair. Paul Sinclair had a case come in. It was in that same show, though. Paul said that he had a woman email him with a testimony and said, look, I'm not going to tell you what I know. I'm not going to tell you I know what happened or what these beings were, she said. But essentially, me and my daughter were in our kitchen at late at night. And we see a being move into the window and stare at us. And she said, I saw an alien. When I asked my daughter, what do you see? She said, I see a demon. Evolving. Masks. Evolving. So there is this again, okay, what do you think I am now? Okay. It's like a participatory vision. So you, like Skinwalker Ranch, like the, the dogmen yeah. in tweed jackets smoking that would scare them oh my god yeah absolutely not that's what i was going to say so back to this manifestation aspect playing the role of imitation you know imitating being simulant something that's similar but it's not really what it appears to be the events that take place is fascinating where the ufo manifest and there will be rivets screwed on the side of it 
you know that's not like it's old technology of ours like like to the point where even today we're like we would never that's stupid we would do that or, or even the airships in the 1890s right correct correct it's manifesting as a means oh this is who we really are okay and, and when you hold it to scrutiny that's not interspace travel you can't you can't do that with you know it, it's not feasible right <laughs> right and screws like okay sure that'll work we're gonna do mock you know and, and but when you start to realize it you're looking at this and thinking okay is this a manifestation of something right and so i, I do believe that there is the real phenomenon, and i think that plays a major role in it i also do believe that it can be physical it's not just nuts and bolts it's something else and it's not something else it's also nuts and bolts it's consciousness it's it's all intertwined but I do also believe that our black budgets have created a lot of this. I mean, a lot of it in that we don't want our enemies to know and we don't want people to know it's our enemies. But I think, again, that there's two different things going on at the same time. I hope that answers your question. If not, I can be more specific. So just to clarify, is there a chance that much of the UFO phenomena is this single entity yeah. and there is again you know possibly legitimate extraterrestrial travelers or interdimensional travelers like in other words when you say not or but and it could mean yeah. a variety of different things it could mean this thing is manifesting as everything right sure. or it could mean that there's you know a multiverse of different species and entities and this is just one mimicking itself as another correct i think that obviously everything's on the table but i'm leaning towards a singular proto intelligence that is orchestrating all of this and, and if you look at bigelow's last interview with jeffrey mishlop mm -hmm. bigelow's very tight-lipped you know he signed in ndas with our government and I, I know people that have been there and done investigations on the property a lot of what's coming out, some of it's real, some of it's not. Most of it, most of what they've documented and the truth they know is it's sealed. Give it to the government. You guys know we're good. See ya. I know that because I've had conversations with the investigators, like mm -hmm. literally friends of mine that say, okay, yeah, you know, and whatever. But he even suggested, he said, okay, he's like, okay, so here, here's what we encounter. ET, ghosts, demons, the deceased discarnate all of the above cryptids all of the above possession cases on yes. skinwalker on skinwalker absolutely absolutely and this is not just with bigelow but also with the new owner i forget his name now the new owner, brandon brandon, brandon fuel yep absolutely and, and so if we look at this particular case study because at the very end of that mishlove interview that bigelow just lit a firework threw it out see what happens see if people are going to pick up what i'm putting down because bigelow says after all of our data documentation after all of our experiences everything we captured he said it is our opinion our opinion that we're dealing with a singular intelligence that was huge for me that is wearing all of these masks and manifesting as all of the above now if we take that 
foundation and try to build a theory, the implications for us is really terrifying because then that would mean that there is an intelligence out there. Now, again, is it one being? It's not what I'm saying. There's a tradition. There is an hierarchy, at least, something there that's underneath one umbrella, I should mm -hmm. say. But if we're going to look at what they know about us and the way they're employing these masks to manipulate us, it does not bode well for our species. To impregnate women without their permission, to take the child without sometimes their own awareness of it till the next morning, to appear as a former lover, to hack, to literally bypass our instinctual awarenesses, and then to rip the mask off at the last moment. It's quite disturbing. And I will say this, there's more of that happening in this field than we would like to realize to the point that even some of the studies that are taking place, I won't mention which one, but even documentaries, if the experience is negative, dismiss it, move mm -hmm. on to something more positive. It's like hum human mutilations, right? Like, like when oh, we yeah. see yeah. cattle mutilations, like there's also human mutilations, but the entire field, Absolutely. I, I never, I mean, I've been looking at this for two years. I never heard of it until recently. Right. But right. you, it's like it's buried. But yeah, continue. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. It's okay, man. You're good. Uh, yeah, absolutely. There are certain aspects of the phenomenon people would rather not deal with. And this is going to be a, kind of a shock because I'm pretty sure I'm going to be speaking at a lot of large conferences next year. And it's going to be interesting because, to my knowledge, there isn't another demonologist in the field that is bringing this to the forefront and it's not because i'm huge or anything it's just a lot of people are interested in it <laughs> they don't care and it's it's a different faction of the research but it's going to be interesting to hear how they receive these case studies because like i said it's not like i'm just talking to abductees i'm talking to incubi experiencers and so again it's going to be very unique how do you explain the phenomena where you have kind of this Svengalian, I've been abducted and they put me, they've literally kidnapped me and done all this stuff. Yep. And now I've learned to love them. Oh my Like God. kind of this Stockholm syndrome sort of thing. Like what other choice does, do they have? To fight. I hope if there's That's a true. way to, to do that. Well, I think again, and I, I was discussing this with one of my mentors, the phenomenon, there are many ways we can hypothesize our way out of being victims. And there are many ways that they've lied to us. Oh, you have a soul contract. You deserve this. You agreed prior to you existing in this incarnation. You agreed that one day I will assault you. Huh? Do we realize how? So I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be that unfair. You don't realize how stupid that would sound if it well, was placed in any other social. Place. Without without laying judgment, irrational. Yeah. Let's say how irrational right. that sounds. Right. Well, yeah, and you're right. They are kidnappings. They're not just abductions. I mean, they're they're. I know they're the same like, thing. Like if a human did this to another human. 
it would be kidnapping. Right. Unless that human said, well, I'm an alien, then we're good. Exactly. I mean, that's, that's where we, it's really where we are. It grieves me. And it's like, what the heck? I was going to do Tim Robinson. I don't know if you like Tim Robinson from I think you should leave. What the, you know, no, um, right. dude. So it makes no sense unless it was somebody again. Okay. The Stockholm syndrome. Let's get back to that. Cause that I, I have ADHD. My mind goes a thousand miles now, but uh, do I know why they're doing that? Yes. I think they're trying to rationalize trauma 100%. And, and our government knows that you look at, uh, some of the experiences that you've mentioned. Yeah, the government told them, oh, well, you know, you have a 12-year period of recovering from it, and then you'll be enlightened. Yeah, let's address that head on. So what do you make of the Chris Bledsoe Oh, my God. Experience. Well, they're making profits. They're making profits out of people. And, and here's the biggest thing. You have to understand where I'm at. Okay, thankfully, my research has, has kind of bridged a lot of gaps. And so what's happened is I've been able to talk to Catholic priests, demonologists, exorcists, ufologists, incubi victims, experience the whole lot of them. And yeah, this whole thing again of ufologists, okay, we don't want anything about religion being brought into this field. Well, they're the ones bringing it. Yeah. Like regardless of what we want this to be, well, regardless of how we want to shape and mold the discourse we're going to have, listen, when he's coming out saying that Jesus told him that Ra is God. He said that? Either him or the son. The son said, my father it, was told. It, yeah, right. yeah now, it's likely the son. Get, right. This gets back to something that is pervasive in these encounters. There is a reason why the necessity to test the spirits is here. It's present. We can no longer take them out their word. We have to look deeper. And with a lot of these experiencers, which you mentioned another one earlier, not just this particular case study, but when you start hearing language like my guides, Mm -hmm. my aliens well it's me of course i'm the right that's when you start to realize that the phenomenon is starting to to really show its nature mm -hmm. in it's looking for a mediator and we're gonna get on that in a second which is it's really interesting to me all right my friend this has been absolutely fascinating and i look forward oh, to delving more into the kind of UFO side of right. this, which, which we're currently discussing. So I appreciate you. Thanks, brother. If you enjoyed this video, please click on like, subscribe, and the notification button so that you're alerted anytime I post something new.